Hey everybody, bienvenidos, bienvenue, benvenuti, willkommen. Welcome to another episode of the Red Card Report podcast. This is episode number 64. And we have all the leagues back in action. At least that's what it seems like. Maybe everything minus the French League. So it seems like everything's getting back to normal, at least in my opinion. It's like nothing ever happened. But you don't want to know what else is making me feel like it's extra normal right now is that we have Rui here in the studio again. It's like it, now it's like we're we're doing this on a weekly basis now. It's like there was never a virus in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> Just picture a world without without COVID-19, really. I'm trying to, Joe. I'm trying to. How are you doing, man? I am fantastic as always. Always, it. always, always. My Porto remain in first place and they actually gained ground. Benfica <laughs> have fallen back where they belong. So Ooh. it's all good. Milan came out with a huge win. It was like... Yeah, dude. It was like... Four goals. Whoa. Yeah, four goals. And it's like fucking Man City decided to wear Milan jerseys. And Man City today decided to wear Milan jerseys. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, no. Like, I don't know, man. In the mud. Yeah, dude. I It was it was crazy. Today, Man City really wet the bed. Milan played... Like Chalonoglu literally no, looked Chalinoglu like freaking had the best game of his life. He was, I think. Yeah, no, it was, and it's crazy because the last time he played Lecce, we were at we were at Cafe Dello Sport. We were at Holy Cafe Dello Sport in Boston, and I he remember. was also he was also playing out of his mind in that game. Like people on Twitter were like, "I'm hearing Chalonoglu's playing like De Bruyne." Like it was like compare. Like he was having a great game. So I don't know what it is with him against Lecce, even though that's really not saying much, but. He uh, <laughs> wait, wait, who's it? They're like kebab all glue is like on fire right now. I was yeah. like, oh my god, no. Eddie said that he was like, ooh, flaming yeah. kebab, dude. Yeah, he was. Uh, he had a great game. All of Milan played really, played really well. well, and what a response! Because uh, unfortunately, I wasn't watching the game live. I ended up catching the replay afterwards. Hey, you were and. We scored, and then shortly after, Lecce scored, and I was like, what the f, man? Are we really not going to score? And then like. Because you know how Milan games are. Like, we take we get the lead, and then they end up scoring on something. And then, like, just minutes later, I, I like, put my phone down, and then, like, five minutes later, we're up 3-1. to one. I'm like, holy shit. Like, like that's amazing. what you wanted to happen yeah. the last time you it's played great... Lecce. And I think that you tied that, like, when we were at Cafe de los Sport. I yeah, think they it scored was a, a screamer from, like, 30 like... yards out. But it I'm was... Sorry, um, it was... <laughs> no, it, it, it was awesome. It was a great response. I ended up catching the replay afterwards. Uh, Ligue looked really good, too. He ended up scoring that goal on the cross yep. and everything. Uh, Milan uh, really played well. And uh, that is positive news, and I hope that continues. You know, sometimes it's about the response, too. Whenever yeah. you mess up, it comes how, down to the how response, you how you respond back, and that's what champions do. I don't want to say that's what Milan are, but, like, that's what good teams do. No, that is what that is what. Even when you're playing do. against bottom-tier teams, it's, like, what you have to do because it could – you could be on that could lead to an off game if you don't respond oh, absolutely. well and that's what they did. Yep, and they looked prepared. Anyway, let's back it up a little bit. You you mentioned before that <laughs> Porto is in first place, maybe comfortably so, or they're pulling they're starting to pull away, right? And I think that that's big news because it's not so much that Benfica lost. That is big news. Like cuz Benfica rarely rarely lose especially at home yeah it's more the team that they lost to yeah and that's santa clara 
So can you elaborate a little bit more on Liga Nosh for all our friends out there? So for those of you that don't know, Santa Clara is the little brother of Benfica. If you actually look at both of their logos, Santa Clara's is very, very similar to Benfica's. I think it was even Lef that you mentioned. He's like, they have the same crest. Like, what is this? Yeah, it's there's very, very few differences to the crest of Santa Clara to Benfica's. So uh, there's a similarity. That's why a lot of the Azorians, because Santa Clara is in uh, San Miguel Island, which is part of the Azores, a lot of the Azorians also like Benfica a lot. <laughs> because of Santa Clara. So it's like they didn't know who to root for in this game. But... <laughs> But yeah, um, Santa Clara really just—they've—they've—they've improved a lot this year. They've been quite impressive in a lot of the games that they played. They're in a decent standing in the Portuguese league compared to where they usually were uh, whenever they were in the first league. But man, what a game they played! It was the most bizarre game. They went four three. It went early on. Santa Clara took the lead one nothing. Then Mefica responded, and then Santa Clara scored on a set piece making it 2 to 1. Benfica scored two quick goals from Vinicius and then right in right at the end in the last 10 minutes Santa Clara snuck two goals. Thriller. It was an absolute thriller. It was a crazy second half and it was the most sloppy way ever to score four goals. <laughs> <laughs> to 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 be honest, to be honest, and it's like Benfica can't really catch a break. They've been so inconsistent ever since they lost to Porto. In February, they have only gotten 10 points out of a possible 27 points. That's so very In the last Benfica-like. nine games, it's been a very, very, very tough uh, road for Benfica. They drew four times straight. That so, doesn't, they don't do that. No, given the fact how they started this season, their only loss was to Porto until they played Porto again and then they lost to them again. They were absolutely superb, sensational. You couldn't ask for a better way to start the season. The way they were going, I thought they were going to be champions. Even if Porto won the second time. Usually that's a safe bet. Because going into that game, Benfica were ahead seven points, and it's the Portuguese league. For a team like Benfica and Porto, it's kind of like hard for them to drop so many points. Right, yeah. It's so unlikely, but Benfica somehow found a way to do that. And it, it, it's it's crazy. <laughs> I, you know, I'm a, I'm a Portista... I'm a Portista and all, but a lot of it is unlucky yeah, for Benfica. For Benfica. You know, the defense isn't there to bail out the attack, like against Santa Clara, but also the the attack is not there to ba- bail out Benfica. And when you have like that going on for such a long stretch, it you know, it's it can really cost you points. And obviously it has for Benfica. And even this week after that loss against Santa Clara, Bruno Lage, the coach the so-called savior for Benfica because he saved Benfica last year in the second half of the season, which is why they became champions. And in the first half of this season, Benfica were absolutely impeccable, and now they're crashing out. He had a meeting with the board this week discussing the future of the club. So I'm assuming if things do not turn around, that guy is out the door. Very, very interesting. And Porto won against their rivals... Boavista, which I feel like sweetens the pot a little bit. You know, Benfica lose to their little brother club in Porto win against, against their uh, their hometown rival. So like this is a good week to be Rui is what I'm what I'm getting at. It's so funny ever since the the lockout ever since everything got back after the the pandemic, the whole lockout. 
both Porto and Benfica were dropping points. They were not playing well. So when Benfica lost to Santa Clara, I was like, this is too good to be true. Porto's dropping points today. Like, I just know. It, it, and it's a derby match. But Porto came out with their guns blazing. They destroyed uh, Boa Vista and the Derby da Invita. Um, yeah, 4 nothing. 4 nothing, yeah. And Musa Marega with an incredible performance. Two goals, open goals from open play. I'm sorry. And he won two penalties. One, he got brought down in the box. And the other one, he uh, was out wide and crossed the ball in. And the Bovista defender used his hand. And it was the, the right call. VAR was used in both occasions. And the, the right calls were made. And, and Porto really just... Well, VAR's for, right? I, I was very, very impressed the way Porto played. It was just... They were constantly on, on Bo, uh, Bovista's end. And it was the best football that they played uh, since the since the lockout. So it's positive signs here. Now it's all about staying consistent. Porto have a tougher schedule than Benfica do. But since they are three points ahead, and if Porto does drop a game and Benfica still continues to win by default, we're going to give them the win. Porto does have the head-to-head advantage. So Porto technically... If Benfica were to win the rest of the games of the season, of Porto technically has to uh, drop uh, two games. Could gotcha. be two ties yep. or a loss and a sense. draw. doesn't matter. It's not really looking looking too great for Benfica right now, So you, given you, their form. So you think that Porto can, will in fact pull away? I think they will because Benfica just hasn't really showed any promising signs. Ever since the lockout just ended and... These past four games, Benfica have been absolutely terrible. So they need to they need to change something. And I don't know if it really is going to happen right now. And Porto, the way that they came out against Boavista, I think they're only just going to carry it with them. I think they're going to carry the momentum. And I feel like that's how Porto does it. Once they, they, they do get into stages of where they go two or three games playing scrappy football, but once they start playing that, that fluid style, they're getting back to their A game, that's when they become lights out, and they they continuously bring it to all the other matches for quite some time. So we'll see. We'll keep our eyes open for that. We'll see how Liganaz ends up. You know who's the champion there. Anyway, moving on to another title race that's going on. I'm so happy football's back. This is great. Serie A. We're at the Serie A talk right now. The Scudetto race is still on. I feel like a lot of people are calling it early just because Juventus have now pulled away four points clear of Lazio. Still a lot of games to be played. At the time we're recording this, there are games tomorrow. Practically every day. Practically every day. So I feel like us listing the schedule will be kind of hectic. Anyway, it'll be... All of you guys are going to be watching it anyway. I, I already know this. But... Like I said, Juventus, four points clear right now. I feel like that's very, very temporary. What do you make of that, Rui? You know, uh, this is the best thing that could happen to Juventus right now. They come back. They're not playing the best football. They still managed to get three points in their first league game. They didn't play the best football against Napoli or Milan, and I think that was a favor for them, even though it's two extra games that they had to that they had to play compared to the other uh, 16 teams that weren't in, in the Coppa uh, Italia. Sure. So 
I think that's the best thing because it gave Juventus some time to actually prepare themselves, get in their groove, get some playing time, and maybe get together and just play a better style of football. You know, lose a it cup final. It wasn't the best game that they played, but you know it, they, they still picked up the three points, and I think it, it, it only helped them. And with Atalanta beating uh, Lazio in, in the most dramatic, dramatic. Fashion, fashion possible, it, it just helped Juventus out and also... Inter dropping points to Sassuolo. This is just, uh, yeah. <laughs> for for everyone that for everyone that that saw Juventus play in the Copa d'Italia and didn't want them to win the Serie A title, everyone was thinking these guys are going to fuck up in the season, and there's no way that that Lazio is going to screw up. And I mean, out of all the games that Lazio have remaining, and if they were to lose a game, it was going to be to Atalanta and you can understand it. But the way they lost to Atalanta is completely unacceptable. And regardless of the circumstances, you have to at least walk away with points in this. I know it's Atalanta. They're a high powered attacking team and they can score quickly. They're high risk, high reward kind of team. But you need to learn to finish the game. You have to finish strongly. And do you and, think that's just because that they ha- like they've been out of practice for so long? I think so. I think you know. I was talking to Jerry earlier today. Jerry Mancini. Hi, Jerry. Um, <laughs> shout out to Jerry and uh, his podcast, The Calcio Connection, with Alex Dono. Um, I talked to Jerry a lot uh, regarding Serie A, and he he made a great point today. And I, I was thinking the same thing too. Where I think if the lockdown occurred one week after, where we played Atalanta. Before the lockdown would occur, I think it, the, the result would have been different. I I truly believe like that. Like we meaning Lazio. Lazio, yeah, yeah they, sorry. Yeah, this it, totally, it, this derailed their train of I results. Think it did. They were unbeaten, yeah, dude. Yeah, because they were on, they were in their rhythm and they were on a hot streak. They weren't losing. They were playing good football. They were getting results even in that game against Roma that we saw at Gran Café L'Aquila in in Philadelphia where it wasn't their best game, but they still managed to get a result out of it. They got a draw. Lazio always found a way, and they always found a way to perform and do their job and get points. This looked like a team that maybe could be deflated. This this virus probably, I think... It did more damage than we thought. You know when we start complaining about when there's a new season... Yeah, and there's you know, derby, derbies and big matches early on. We don't like to see that because we want the teams to get warmed up, you know, break into their yeah, shoes, get their in. feet wet, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This isn't the case. Like this is three months without playing. This is practically going throughout an entire off season and starting a new season over again. And wham, you're playing against a top notch team. Yeah. So it's it's hard. It's really difficult, and it, it's unfortunate that it had to happen this way for Lazio. And I think maybe I don't know if they would win against Atalanta because Atalanta were on a hot streak too going yeah, into this they pandemic. Were, yep, they were. But maybe they could have walked out with a draw. Maybe they could have walked out with a, with a win. But I honestly do believe that Lazio would have played a lot better than what they brought Absolutely. today or I yesterday. Can, I'm sorry. I can totally agree with that. Like one, I bet you that one. Just that one fixture, mm-hmm. I feel like you were right when you said that if it would be a team that Lazio would have lost to, I feel like it would have been Atalanta anyway. Yeah, I think so. But it, it, it's not guaranteed, and I think this really affected Lazio's uh, performance. I, you think I, I that really this, do. Do you think 
this is a huge setback for them in terms of the Scudetto race. I think so. I think they wanted at least a draw going into this. It's going to be tough because they have a tough schedule. They still have to play against Juventus. I think they will they should beat Juventus the way that win. they played against them. But now since... They played us twice and they won. Yeah, exactly. They have to play against Milan. They have to play against Napoli at the end of the season. They have to play against... Uh, Hellas Verona still, and Hellas Verona have been pretty, pretty stubborn against the bigger teams. They've always given them a tough time this year, That's and true. surprisingly, they're a pretty decent team this year. Yep. So they they don't have an easy schedule, and I don't know. I think it's on Juventus's side and Inter's side At in terms right of difficulty in in schedules. So it all it all depends. I think this weekend against Fiorentina, how Lazio are going to respond is how they're going to play for the rest of the season because this game good is a point. must win. The way Very they play, point. even if it's an ugly win, there's going to be, be question. It, it's still a win, but there's going to be question marks there. There's going to be question marks. So they have to get back on track, and you know, the, so I, I'm not going to rule them out. They need a convincing win. They need a convincing win because. I don't think this loss to Atalanta is going to ruin everything because it wouldn't have surprised us even with, with the virus or without it. I don't think it would have surprised us if they lost to Atalanta because Atalanta is a top club. Now it's all about them responding to all the other games coming up all the, that, that are leading up to against Juventus. Which, yeah. And they have to beat Juventus. They have to. We already knew that if they were to win the Scudetto, they have to they have beat to take Juventus. Points. Yeah, they have exactly. to take points from that game. Um. Speaking, continuing in the Serie A thread, Sassuolo tied Inter at home. This is incredible. <laughs> like the Sassuolo is the bogey team for the Milan clubs. Yeah, it just is. They were Milan's bogey team for a few years. I think the last couple of seasons, Milan, I think, have had the upper hand against them. But yeah, regardless, Be, like they always seem to get a result against Inter, especially when they're the most vulnerable, like right now. And it, this was a this was a cracker of a match. It was 3-3, like 3-3 three, three all. It was yep. great. But the main takeaway that I that I saw from this, aside from just the you know the resolve of Sassuolo, which was great, mm-hmm. was that Skriniar is out. Milan Skriniar, center back, out for three games because he got his second yellow. And Antonio Conte is suspended for one match because of accumulation of yellow cards. I need to ask you this, really, because this crossed my mind. Which one... I I get that Skriniar is going to be out for a longer period than Conte, but a game's still a game, and it's still points at stake. Which one's the bigger absence in terms of the long run for their Scudetto hopes? which we got to keep in mind it's not like they're totally out of the race yet. No, they're they're not out of the race. But I think I would say definitely Antonio Conte because I feel that when when Inter are either losing or even when they're winning, I feel for the most part that Antonio Conte makes the right substitution, makes the right changes, makes the right adjustments, knows when to do them at the right time. And for the most part, it works for Inter's part. They won't have that. Now, as good as Skriniar has been for Inter, and I know I got a lot of shit on Twitter for criticizing Milan Skriniar's one-on-one ability, I do still think he's a very good defender. But regardless, um, 
he, it's a huge loss not having uh, Milan Skriniar out there, but I think Inter have the depth at center back to compensate the loss of Skriniar. They don't have the depth or the alternative for Antonio Conte. And Antonio Conte is a tactical genius. He knows what to do. As I mentioned before, he knows when to make the right move, right substitution and adjustments and all that stuff at the right time. But I think it's a huger loss for Antonio uh, Antonio Conte not being there simply because of that. But they are playing against Parma. It should be three points. So... It's just one game that they're going to be without Antonio Conte. So I think they'll still win without both of them. They, I mean, they beat Genoa by a huge goal margin. They looked good, but yeah, I'm. That's that's interesting. It, it'll be. I think it'll be. It won't be a convincing win for them if they do no. win against Parma. Yeah, because they have both both of those guys missing. Those are two big. Yeah, and guys th- in this in the squad. I think they're going to line up with a more. They're definitely going to be with a, defi- with a better bus. They're going to be lined up with a better squad this game than they were against Sassuolo. They missed okay. out on a couple of uh, key players that um, key, uh, a couple of their key best players. So I think they're going to line up better because they know that they need this win coming up. They need the motivation. They need the momentum to carry on, especially with without having Skriniar for three straight games. So. This win is going to be huge. It's kind of like that Lazio-Fiorentina win or the Fiorentina matchup. How they respond to this is going to dictate how they're going to finish this season. So if people that think that Inter are still in it, and I still think that they are in it, this matchup is going to be huge, absolutely huge. And they need to show that they are still in it. They need to win convincingly. We shall see. I, I forget when when's that when's that game? The uh that game is on Sunday. So like I said, these games are all it's just one right after the other, right after the other. Yep. This is it's like every three to insane. four days there's a game. It's great you because this, this would not be happening during the during the summer, like at yep. all. Like we would be relaxing and just reading transfer rumors, but no, we actually have football we gotta we gotta report on. And speaking of actual football more like I'm talking like English football this time. Everyone's favorite league. The inevitable has finally come true. Liverpool are crowned champions for the first time. Premier League champions. Yep. Since it was called the Premier League. To put that in perspective, the last time Liverpool won won the league, I should say, because it wasn't called the Premier League. George H.W. Bush was president. The Exxon Valdez oil spill happened, and the Eastern Bloc was still like still existed in Europe. I wasn't even born yet. You weren't even born yet. I wasn't even born yet. That is how long ago <laughs> this was. <laughs> this is insane. Rui, what do you make of Liverpool finally being crowned Premier League champions. Ugh. I know you're disgusted. Sick, Sick to my stomach, man. Oh my. Ugh. But you got to give credit to where credit's due. So congratulations, Liverpool. You can now sit at the table with <laughs> Leicester City. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> those that have only one Premier League sit at the kitty table. Oh my god. But anyway, um Oh my god. <laughs> no, no, no. no. 
I love that. Honestly, this they made this, it mathematically impossible for any other club. This to team, this team get close. is this team is the real deal. Obviously, they won the Champions League last year. They missed out on the league by just one point in having ninety-seven points, which is unheard of. It's never happened before. They deserve it. You you, you can't. You can't take this away from them. As much as we don't like it to happen, they deserve it. They do. They really, really do. They what put they were the able work. to do two years ago in the second half of the season of 2018 where they turned everything around. They made the right investments. They made it all the way to the Champions League final to lose to Real Madrid, who were clearly the best team in the world. Win the Champions League last year. Now they finally brought it home. It, this is the best team in England and arguably the best team in Europe. Even though they got knocked out early in the Champions League, this is a complete team. They have one of the best it, defenses it in the world. I, I want to say Jurgen Klopp is the best coach in the world. For what he's been able to do with this team, he's been there from the beginning. He's there from when, I, be, I believe his first year as a coach, they finished in eighth place because he, he took over midway through the season. Something like that. And then the following season, he got them to fourth and then another fourth place, I believe. And they continuously uh, made it to the Champions League. You know, the, the, the story of Liverpool is really amazing. Constant and improvement. It gives... It gives teams like Inter and Milan to hope that we or like one of us can actually win the Champions League and make it back on top because what Liverpool, where Liverpool were ten years ago was a really sad position. Yeah, it was. So for a club um, of their standing, I yeah. know I'm getting like a little off track here with like a little bit of a history, but what they else were can the best you say? Team. They, they were by far the best, the best, the best team in in, in the EPL and. They've made every single decision correctly leading up to this point, ever since the Coutinho selling. So um, as much as I hate to say this, congratulations to Liverpool. You guys deserve it and enjoy it. Seriously, like it's it's a great story. It's a great football story. It is. But you want to know it's you know who doesn't deserve anything today? That's Man City. Yeah, because they lost in a, a very interesting way to Chelsea. <laughs> like, wow. Like, yeah. wow, wow, wow. It's so, it's so weird because um, when you look at the statistics, Chelsea only had 33% of the the ball possession. Don't you love it when that happens? Right, but each time that they had the ball, they made the most of their possession. They were firing shots left and right. They were having opportunities. They played a really good game, even though uh, they capitalized on Manchester City's mistake on Pulisic's goal. Dude, hey, it is how what it is. Bad was that? Was that. terrible. That was awful. You, Man City, they don't care anymore. They really just don't. They're over this year. This is not the Man City that we saw the last couple of seasons. True. I think they're just going to focus on the Champions League, and that's it. Everything else is fuck all. They don't care. <laughs> they really, really don't. I don't think Pep cares. And I really wonder what the hell's gonna. Yeah, you know, I think I these think players that. know something that we don't know. What they have, like something in the works. No, I, I think I still think because I, I mean, I don't know what's going on behind closed doors, but I think that they're going to be in the Champions League next year. I don't know if uh, these players know something else that ooh, we don't know. Maybe, and they're just like, well, this sucks. Huh. Why should I care? So I don't know. They, they, there's something wrong here. Uh, with Manchester City, the the way that they've been playing, um, very unman city like, yeah. at least for Pep standards, right? At least, 
the way that they played this game yeah. was just really, really poor. Yeah, I mean, good win for Chelsea. Good, good, good job for them. Yeah, and it, 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 Manchester United fans were hoping that Man City would cream them because that means that they would be tied in points with uh, with, with Chelsea and yeah. they would have the head-to-head advantage and, that, and Manchester right United now. would be in uh, fourth place. Yeah, and I mean, even Manchester... Since you brought up Manchester United, we got to give them a shout out. They played. Fan- I'm sorry, we would be uh, we uh, Manchester United would be behind Chelsea by one point. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. I mean, either way, Manchester United played really, really well against Sheffield United. Anthony Martial on fire, dude, and he scored three pure number nine goals, being in the right position having great finishing, the anticipation to get behind the runs and on the crosses coming in. And the last two goals, even though Bruno Fernandes and Pogba didn't assist on it, but the last two passes that went to the player that assisted on the goal came from both of those two. And in the second goal, Bruno Fernandes unselfishly thought twice about taking a shot from outside the box. It looked like he was going to rip one, but... He saw that the better option was to pass it to Pogba. Pogba dishes it out wide. I believe it was to Mason Greenwood. And he crosses it in, and boom, it led to an Anthony Marshall goal. And all three of Manchester United's goals were beautiful football. And what a difference Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandes midfield really makes. And this is scary. This is scary what this team can be if Jaden Sancho really comes to Manchester United next year because you're going to we'll have see. a a an attacking four of Marshall, Rashford, Fernandes and Jaden Sancho on the right. That that's kind of, that's scary. That's pretty damn scary. And if you can grab another center back, they're all fast and and they can dribble and they can shoot. When you look at Fernandes, the way that this guy reads the game and how accurate he is. He's with bringing pa- him back. His awareness. Honestly, he's really bringing Some him back. Some of his passes today, it's like he knew where everyone was despite his back being faced towards the other players. It's incredible, his intelligence and his awareness on the pitch. He knows where everyone is. And this is the player, this is the type of player that Manchester United have wanted for a very, very long time. And this is what they needed. And now Paul Pogba, even though he's playing deeper, right around the same position he was with Mourinho, but the only thing is, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer says, listen, just go forward if you have to. And we saw that on two of the goals. He was there and contributed to the play. So when you see these two working together and linking well, there's going to be some beautiful football going to be played. So yeah. it, it, it's this is really good. Si- really this is a really good him. sign for, for Manchester United. This is some of the best football that I've seen them play in quite some time. So two questions on this, really. One of them, I didn't even really ask. It was kind of, well, eh, I did. But it was because of Michael Owen. Michael Owen still is unconvinced that they can solely rely on Anthony Martial. Do they still need to look for an out-and-out number nine, do you think? Because for the most part of Martial's career, he's been on the wing, he's been, he, or he yeah. played as a second striker or something like that. He was never the center forward for a team, really. Right. So, elaborate. 
Yeah, so when he was a product at Lyon and then he went to Monaco, that's when he first really made his name. He was originally a number nine, but when he moved to Manchester United, we saw him at first as a number nine, but he got most of his playing time as he got a little bit older on the wing. And now this year, we would have all thought that Marshall would have been still on the wing and then Rashford playing as the number nine, but it's been the opposite this year. And he's played really, he's played really, really well. And ever since the arrival of Bruno Fernandes, he's been sensational. He's been scoring more. He's been getting more opportunities. It's like Rashford has less of a burden. He has less responsibility. He doesn't have to carry the team as much or have to deal with so much creativity to feed to Marshall. Now, Marshall's getting creativity from a lot of people. And with Paul Pogba back, I think we're going to see more and more uh, chances for Anthony Marshall. I'm going to disagree with Michael Owen. Oh, but well, easy. Because I think Anthony Marshall can do this. And this game proved that his not just ability to create, to dribble past defenders or you know he's he's a dynamic player but this game proved the goals that he scored that he has the tactical awareness he has he can make striker goals yes he makes the number nine goals the poacher goals possible and he did it against a decent Sheffield side can it continue I think so I think the more talent that you give this kid the easier his job's going to be and he can also score a more difficult goal because he is dynamic. He has good finishing skills. He's not your, your, He's not your typical Erling center forward, Holland yeah. center forward where you're no. just a poacher or, or Lewandowski. This guy can actually create. He can drop back. He can obviously go out wide. So he's a different forward. He has a lot of abilities. But if he's able to continue to to play that poacher position, get in the right position at the right time, this guy's going to be absolutely incredible. So if this continues, there's no need to go after a number nine or or anything like that. If Manchester United get Jadon Sancho, just watch out for this attack. Can Manchester United keep it up? Can they put the pressure I on think the so. rest of the EPL? I think so. They still haven't lost with Bruno Fernandes. Uh, this team looks completely different now. They just got Paul Pogba back, and he's made an immediate impact. True. He came in as a sub against against Tottenham last week, and he won a penalty. Today, he got his first start since, I think, September 30th, a long, Crazy long time ago. Time and ago. he was sensational. So I think Manchester United looked really good. Their defense is looking pretty sharp as well, too. I think the attack is just All fine. All systems go. All yeah. systems go, and... If they keep continuing to play like this, I think they'll end up finishing in fourth. I think somehow they'll surpass Chelsea because you can just... If I were to make a prediction, I'm going to go with Manchester United because you can't just rely on Chelsea's squad because as talented as they are and gifted as they are, they're really, really young and you can't rely on youth. Inexperienced. They're inexperienced. Yeah, inexperienced. Yeah. So... Yeah, they're bound to screw up at some point. I think the likelihood that Chelsea screws up is higher, and Manchester United can capitalize on right. that. So, to be seen. One league where we were we were mistaken on this one. We I gotta own up to this, and that's the Bundesliga. We're moving to Germany right now. There's one game left in the season. We thought 
we collectively, Rui and I, thought that Leverkusen were going to be the guys to occupy that last spot. Turns out not to be the case. Rui, fill us in on what's happening in the Bundesliga right now. So there's only one match left. And as you mentioned before, we thought Bayer Leverkusen was going to go through. And I can't believe that they didn't that they Dude, choked against Arthur Berlin. And, that's exactly what I was thinking. Uh, we, we, we mentioned before that it was going to be a race for that final fourth spot. And it was going to be between, obviously, Bayer Leverkusen and Mönchengladbach. And Mönchengladbach, going into last week, were going to be without their two star players that are Alassane Plie and Marcus Turam, the son of Lilian Turam. They've been their two best forwards. They combined for like 20 goals and 28 assists this year in the Bundesliga or something in that in, in that area, that vicinity. Yeah. They've been sensational. And when you think, regardless who you're playing against, even though they had an easy matchup last weekend, when you lose your two-star players, it's a huge loss. And you have to look to your bench to make up for the loss. And once again, Mönchengladbach got the job done. Leverkusen... Uh, really messed up against uh, Hertha Berlin. Tenth placed Hertha Berlin, dude. Yeah, and Hertha Berlin are now going to uh, going to play against Mönchengladbach. So <laughs> Bayer Leverkusen are playing against uh, Mainz, who are in thirteenth place. They should win. They should. Kai Havertz needs to step up, and they need a hope for a Mönchengladbach loss. So there's a, there's, there's still, still a lot, stuff to play for. There's still a lot going on, but Leverkusen. They really blew it last week. Yeah, I mean they could have they could have cemented their status there, but no, nope. We gotta we gotta see. Do you think that Hertha Berlin will will upset Mönchengladbach? They could. I mean, they upset they by, upset by Leverkusen. Leverkusen. It's a it it's been a real strange. This uh, could come down to the wire. Return. It's been a real strange return in the Bundesliga since since COVID nineteen. Bayer Leverkusen beat Wolfsburg. Or they lost to Wolfsburg, but Mönchengladbach beat Wolfsburg. And also, Bayer Leverkusen beat Mönchengladbach. So it's like... Yeah, it's... it's everything not, that's uh, supposed to happen... It all circles around. Everything that's supposed to happen doesn't really happen. So who who knows? <laughs> What's supposed to happen in these two games is both teams should win. But is that a guarantee? Is that a guarantee? No. Right. So, so I, I think that three-month hiatus really took effect into these clubs. So, yeah, um, we'll see. That'll be interesting to see how that turns out because that affects the Champions League and oh, all that stuff next year. My prediction. Yes, what is your prediction? Really? Bayer Leverkusen win, Mönchengladbach lose. Ooh, okay. Well, They'll still be without Marcus Saram and Alassane Plier. Yep. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's going to catch up to Mönchengladbach. Maybe, maybe. But one last segment we got to get through. And that's transfers. There's still transfer news going around. There's still deals being done. It technically would be transfer season. We got to keep that in mind. So clubs are still going to be going after those deals. And one deal that's been popping up everywhere, I mean everywhere, is Pjanic and Arthur. Arthur? Artur? Artur, Artur. whatever. I keep seeing the H time like the th. No, Artur swap. Like they're having a swap deal. What do you make of it, Rui? <laughs> can't even I can't even ask my question. He's already he's like, ah, yes, I have an opinion on this. I no, think go. 
What do you Barcelona think? Barcelona are on crack. <laughs> That's what that seems to be the unanimous opinion. They have to be. Who the hell in their right mind would make this deal? I'll admit I have not watched a whole lot of Artur play. Artur you know? is a very good player. That's uh, what I've that's what I've heard. A different player than Pjanic, but he's very good and he's very young. He's very skillful. He's like he's 23. Very cre- very creative, elusive. He's faster than Pjanic. So I think he'll help I think he'll help the attack more than Pjanic would. But I just don't understand essentially Barcelona paid 60 million for Pjanic because the deal for Artur was seventy million. That was what. That's what Juventus are getting yeah, plus for him. bonuses. But they're giving Pjanic and ten million euros for Artur. This is probably the biggest robbery <laughs> since I could remember. In all honesty, I think the main reason why this deal is going down is because it looks better on the books for both the clubs. How exactly? Not entirely sure. But there's got to be some kind of financial um, benefit to this deal going through this way. If that's the case... I don't know. If if Pjanic going for $60 into Barcelona's books... That have Antoine Griezmann for 135 million, <laughs> Coutinho for 140 million. I don't know, man. Dembélé for 130 million. I don't know how that's going to help their books. I think it just registers or as it a, lo- makes it look nicer. I because think it, honestly, I don't only know. Only one team looks good right now, and it's Juventus because they sold a bum. For 60 million euros. Yes, he's definitely on the downslope, yeah. Yep. I, I, I'm not, I'm, I am in, for a 23-year-old kid. I'm glad. Who's going to grow and get better. It, it doesn't make any goddamn sense. I'm, I don't know, maybe they're just like, let's get this kid out of here and have Frankie de Jong do the job. I don't know. That could be but, possible. Th- this makes absolutely no sense. Who the fuck would pay $60 million for Miralem Pjanic at the age of 30? Makes no sense to me. Barcelona. Barcelona. And I don't know. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm excited. It, nothing is official yet, but it looks like yeah. it's going to go through. Job well done, Juventus. I'm happy. I'm excited to see him play. So we'll see. We'll see what wow. this kid's made of it for Serie A. I have a feeling he, I, if everything that people are saying is true, mm-hmm. he'll light up Serie A. Whatever happens to Barcelona in the future, they deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> something bad is going Something's, to happen to this. Something club. rotten is and happening. I'm not going to feel bad for it. I, no, no one should feel. I know bad you for would. Them. You wouldn't feel bad on on a good day for them. You would feel like you'd be Messi like, oh, must be Barcelona. fucking pissed. <laughs> this no. is oh. I know it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Anyway, staying with the I don't know, it just seems to be a, the summer of midfielders here. But another one who seems to be on the move is Donny Van de Beek. We've talked about him on the podcast before, but it seems like Real Madrid has cooled their interest in him. 
mm-hmm. and Manchester United has taken advantage of that and stepped up their interest tenfold. What do you make of that, Rui? Does this buy make more sense than the Pjanic Archer swap? Yeah, this makes anything makes more <laughs> sense than that. Do you anything. think that they? Do you think they get him? I wouldn't be surprised if they did. I, I'm just a little concerned on how he's going to fit in that three man midfield, or however they want to line up because they have a lot of attacking options. Um, Bruno Fernandes, Paul Pogba, and then say Van de Beek joins the team. Now, if we were to plug in Van de Beek into the lineup, he would have to be in the lineup. Say he was a Manchester United player going into the match against Sheffield. He would be playing at Matic's uh, position. And when you look at that entire midfield, it's just an attack-first midfield. There's no true defender. There's no obstructor like yeah, there's like, no a, destroyer. like an Indidi or Thomas Partey or even a Rodri or Fernandinho from Manchester City. There's no one really like that. And I know that Van de Beek has played the number six position or that quote-unquote defensive midfield at Ajax, but that is Ajax. That is the Eredivisie. It's a little bit different. Um, going into the EPL, I'm not saying that Van de Beek is terrible on defense, but he is a true number 10. When we look at the, their run that they had into the Champions League, he played the number 10 position. Frankie de Jong and, and Scheune played the deep-lying midfield positions, and that's when uh, Van de Beek had his best season. Not going to take away this year. He had a lot more responsibility, and he did well playing that Van de, um, that Frankie de Young position. So, would it be bad? I don't know. I I, I don't know. I think it doesn't it, seem maybe balanced. it could work. Yeah, but it. I feel that in the EPL, you need to have that that sort of obstructor that that yeah that defensive force in the midfield, like disrupt Angolo, the other midfield, like in Angolo Kante. That's what I was going to say yeah. when they won the league. Uh, when Chelsea won the league and when Leicester City won the league, he was the the defensive midfielder. Look at Fernandinho at Manchester City. You know, it's, the list look goes at, on. Look at Thomas Partey at, at, at Atletico Madrid. What a difference those those players make. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even uh, Fabinho from Liverpool. That was the other guy I was trying to say. These are obstructors, and they were a huge factor to why their teams won the won their league. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like there will be a whole lot of balance mm-hmm. for Manchester United if the if this deal does indeed go through. It seems like they'll have a lot of attacking talent, but no nothing cohesive. Yeah, to kind of you know hold it together. Yeah, you I, need that. I, I I think so, and I think you're absolutely right. But I'm not going to say it wouldn't work because Van de Beek is he can do he it. He can do it. Paul Pogba can do it. But are they willing to? Are one of them willing to make the sacrifice to really focus on that? Because it's going to have to come down to that. They're going to need some sort of defensive, yeah. like-minded player in the midfield to screen that defense. It's just like every other championship team in the EPL. Yep. So that's my number one concern. So I don't know. I wouldn't go for it if I was Manchester United. If I was to choose a different midfield, it would be a guy like Ndidi from Leicester City. Or an Angolo Conte, if he can stay healthy. A player like that. Or another defender. Right. <laughs> you need nothing against their defense, but yeah, he, they could obviously get a better defender. So we'll see if it we'll see if it ends up going through. 
anything honestly can fucking happen this summer. <laughs> Seriously, if Pjanic and, yeah. Ar- and Artur are going to be swapping, then yeah, yeah. Seriously, anything is possible. But that's all that I have, Rui. Do you want anything to add? Um, I'm just happy all the leagues, the EPL, all the leagues are is finally back. Unfortunately, Liverpool have won, but there's still quite a bit to play. Still, still gotta watch it. You gotta still watch, watch it. You gotta watch that that mid table or whatever that that side from like fourth place to tenth place that are fighting for those European spots. It's gonna be pretty exciting stuff. Uh, Manchester United are looking pretty good. Chelsea, they're still coming away with results. Wolverhampton are always that. You can't for, don't that sleep exciting, on Wolverhampton. That exciting can't. team. Uh, Sheffield just got waxed, so they're pretty much done. <laughs> I thought Crystal Palace was going to walk away with a draw. Yeah, against I remember we had that discussion too. We thought yeah, that they were going to do but, better. No, nope. yeah, no, no, they ruined. High it. hopes. Thanks, Crystal High Palace. Hopes and there you go. It's um, what happens when you put your faith in Crystal Palace? <laughs> but it's just gonna. It's this is gonna be. The busiest summer that I can possibly think of. Yep. It's, it's going to be, be a different one after another. It's going to be a different transfer window. Totally different. So we're going to be learning a lot of new and we're things. Gonna be, we're going to be watching the Champions League in fucking August. Yeah. Can you believe that? Oh, yeah. Uh, Champions League kicks off on my birthday, August 7th. <laughs> Excited. Oh my God. I know what we'll be doing for your birthday. Watching the Champions League. Watching the Champions League. So, anyway. Thank you all so much for watching. I mean, watching, listening. Thank what you am left. I doing? Thank you, Left, for tuning in. Yeah, thank you, Left, this for tuning in. This episode was for you, man. Specifically for you. I'm all, I'm all messed The Greek up. god, Left. He really is, though. He's a beautiful, beautiful the man. The god of L's. I, I, you take that back. <laughs> you take that oh, back man, right that now. guy's full of dubs. Absolutely. Love you, Left. Thank you for getting us off our asses and, and you know, getting this shit done. Um, but also, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate all the support. Uh, if you liked what you heard, please give us a like, give us a subscribe. Follow us on our Twitter page at RCR underscore podcast. We really appreciate all the participation. Hope you guys are hanging in there and watching as much football as you possibly can. And we will see you next time. Love.